You're listening to Ed Talk with Anuj, a podcast that takes you back to school to understand how far we all have come and the future we're all headed towards. My name is Anuj and this is my attempt to explore the evolution of the Indian education system through the lens of people from various walks of life. Happy listening. Hello and welcome back to Ed Talk with Anuj. Now, back in school, academics was not really a draw for me. I sciences, mathematics, I never really established a a friendly positive relationship with them. I did love the performing arts. I loved being on stage, participating in elocutions, debates, music, singing, acting in skits, writing and in the confines of the classroom other than the the regular subjects my favorites i think were language a little bit of literature and reading and writing stories and a little bit of poetry well i don't have anything home to write about i mean i wrote a lot of lines that rhymed and that was my poetry for me and they often told very simple stories I mean I could never really remember the names of prominent classical poets and authors from English literature but I I loved playing with the rhythm of words and verses I loved how you could take the standard letters of any alphabet and that's that's what each of us has we have the exact same set of alphabets in in our language but I loved the way we could use our imagination to weave visuals and stories that have the power to change the world and i'm constantly in awe of poets and spoken word artists in in awe of their ability to to transport us to different worlds just by their expertise with language their courage and the conviction in what they choose to write about On this episode of Ed Talk with Anuj I speak to a, a dear friend and a teammate from Commune one of India's fastest growing artist collectives He is uh, he heads the content and community division and uh, most importantly he is a poet himself a storyteller and someone who has used his creative gifts to help build a community of people comprising of artists and audiences who are in love with the power of words and expression So With me on a brand new episode of Ed Talk with Anuj is the ever smiling, the wonderful, talented Shantanu Anand. Uh, welcome to uh, the podcast, Shantanu. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Anuj. Thank you for having me here today. How are you? I'm all right. I'm just excited. I'm very excited to speak with you because we've known each other for for some years now when you came into the Commune fold. Yes. Uh, Commune of course which happens to be an an, an artist collective um, you know founded by Roshan Abbas, Gaurav Kapoor, Ankur Tiwari and Shantanu came in of course to add his brilliant value and I'm now on a podcast with this wonderful guy trying to explore what's brought him here and uh, where we're going to go ahead uh, from from now. Yeah wow and i have a confession to start off mm. with which is that i'm incredibly nervous right now oh wow um yeah two reasons huh. first first of all obviously the first time we attempted this my internet completely failed <laughs> so this is take two and um, and this is my first ever podcast guest appearance wow. this is the first time i am on a podcast actually as a host or a guest 
So that is incredibly. I I I'm I'm having very Karan Johar feelings right now. <laughs> there is a star kid debuting on my podcast on my production, and I'm just. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, listen. I'm very happy to be a beneficiary of this form of nepotism. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! Well said, but. you know i i have um, i've always been amazed and fascinated and in and in awe of people who are able to weave magic with words and and you you are one of them the more i have um, you know known you read about read your work and then you know as we've interacted even in the most informal of settings i always wanted to know what makes shantanu the poet that he is what makes him uh, the 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 dreamer that he is I want to ask you where did this begin I mean what was your first introduction to to poetry Wow a uh, wonderful wonderful question to start with uh poetry is I've had you know so many different moments in my life where I've been introduced and reintroduced to it hmm. and I think so so if I have to break it down it's almost like a timeline you know there wasn't any like if you think of it as a romantic comedy right where poetry and me are the two lovers mm-hmm. i guess the first time we met was uh, when i was a child uh, uh, i was 9 years old and and the, and the beautiful thing about my life is uh, my mom is an english teacher mm. so uh, she has always been a fan of poetry so while growing up me and my sister we grew up around poetry like uh my mom you know if she sees something that she really likes or she just feeling something she'll she'll just say a couple of lines from a poem it'll be from shakespeare or from or one of the classic romantic poets and she'll our ts idiot you know and she'll just she'll it'll just sort of come out right. of her. so for us poetry was not this big thing it became sort of part of our lives and when i was 9 was the first time i think i sat down and i wrote a bunch of poems um i was in fourth standard i wrote them all on the computer that we had you know those big computers uh bulky creatures and um and uh, my mom was super supportive they were all horrible poems but what she did is she printed that out and we sort of gifted it to friends and teachers and everything then when i was 16 hmm so i after so you know that's i think when i got introduced reintroduced to poetry that's when i got introduced to writing poetry um and I, I, when you're 16 life is weird right oh yeah i was a very weird 16 year old i wasn't extremely popular or extremely good at sports or extremely good at academics either right so it's sort of this in between kid who's really excelling at nothing right and 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 that's sort of you know and i was doing physics chemistry maths in 11th i was trying for iit which obviously didn't work out at all and all of that sort of came together and i ended up writing i don't think i've ever written as prolifically as i did when i was 16 and 17 those two years i would have written maybe 200 or 300 poems wow because i used to write just just i used to whenever i found free time i would write Uh, I I got into hilarious trouble once because I used to write poems in the back of my uh, school books. Huh. And once my notebook got uh, confiscated, so all the poems got found. <laughs> They were not very pleasant poems. I have to say 9-year-old Shantanu was probably a better writer than 16-year-old Shantanu. Wow. Um, <laughs> but but what did what did 9-year-old Shantanu write about? What did 16-year-old Shantanu write about? 
Uh, okay, so uh, nine-year-old Chantro is writing about like trees and nature and uh, you know and like life and the sun. Um, that sort of thing. Like the mountains you know, are so brown. I, I want to go up and down. And, and you, yeah, you're not far away. You are not far away. <laughs> <laughs> Except it, it was always a bit weird. Hmm. Uh, like uh, there'd be like because you have to rhyme, right? And when you have to rhyme and you're nine years old, you'll just use any words you can. Hmm. I remember there was one this thing. I was standing in a mark in a park and a bird flew by. And it was shaped like Noah's Ark. <laughs> and because I, I, I couldn't think of anything to write yeah. Park with. <laughs> so there's a bird that's shaped like Noah's Ark in the middle of the pond. That's a brilliant thing about being nine years old. You don't I was know standing in a park anywhere. and a dog began to bark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would have been a superior. Shakespeare option. walked up to me and said, Hark. <laughs> <laughs> It's getting dark. Oh, oh God, I could go on. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I think we've lit a spark. Oh. Um. <laughs> so, 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 okay, so, so nine-year-old wrote about trees and wanted to rhyme. And then 16-year-old's poems got I confiscated. Don't want to talk about, oh. Yeah, I don't want to talk about what he wrote. Oh. But he wrote a lot, okay? And okay. that was my sort of cocoon period, you right. know, like the caterpillar. Because I wrote so much that I just learned how to write somewhere in there. And many years later, because between 17 and 20, I didn't actually write much poetry. Hmm. Um, I attempted to write a novel, which I have, which has got lost somewhere. Uh, but I didn't write any poetry. And then I got reintroduced to it again when I was 21, uh, when I went for a poetry slam that I was invited to. Uh, I just went casually. I wrote a poem for it, you know, and I performed and it was great. Wow. Still one of the best days of my life. There were like 10 people watching, okay? Uh, but it's in my top three performances of all time, just because there's no baggage. You, know? uh, you go up there, you perform. Uh, I, I was probably horrible. <laughs> I, I'm very sure I was horrible in terms of objectively. Huh. It was probably a bad poem and a bad performance. But uh, because now we look at it very analytically, right? right. We're looking at is the person, like, are, are they enunciating how's their posture on stage? And I would have, like, been wrong at all of those <laughs> levels. Mm, <laughs> but, mm. um, but just the joy and freedom of performing poetry out loud right. for the first time. That And that was sort of my third introduction to poetry. In the last two years, I've had a bit of a dry spell. I haven't written much poetry. Right. Um, so I'm hoping I'm reintroduced to it a fourth time. Wow. You know? Um, this is this is. I'm going to change the title of this podcast to "Love Talk with Shantanuana." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so endearing what hearing you talk about poetry as the lover that you have constantly crossed paths with. You know, under a, a starry night and uh, with with pages and pens. But let me let me take you back to the first introduction. What was the first one ever? Ah, that I can remember. It's it's nursery rhymes, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, all of us go through that. Now we all yeah. go through Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Yeah, all of us go. And, through and that. here's the thing, right? Mm. We love it. Yes, we love it. We love it, and, and and that's what I love. So here's my thing, right? When you're when you're three, four, five years old, you don't want Shakespeare in your life, mm. you know. Mm. And we know this mm. as a human society. We know this. Yeah. But somewhere along the line, we forget. That even when we're 12, 13, we still don't actually want Shakespeare. 
you know we want poetry that speaks to us yeah. as we understand the world and that somewhere goes missing along the way and i think that's where most of us end up losing our love for poetry mm. but we probably come back to this mm-hmm. but yeah nursery rhymes for me brilliant right because it proves that actually everyone loves poetry and it contains everything that uh poetry can do for you mm. like um twinkle twinkle little star is a poem about wonder you know yeah. uh rockaby baby on the tree top is in <laughs> in fact an incredibly dark poem where the you know the baby falls uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. the ring a ring of roses is about the plague is about the plague wow you know? so so i i think all those nursery rhymes actually encapsulate very well why people like poetry mm. one we love reading it aloud mm. it's an audio medium as much as it is to be read mm. and poetry if it stays on the page i believe you're only experiencing what 60% of it you know you're losing something and we know this because if we only read nursery rhymes they would suck but yeah. when you read them aloud it's so much fun as a child um and the second thing is poems always have hidden meanings that you don't think about when you first read them correct correct and 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 that's a, that's my favorite thing i think nursery rhymes are poetry it's just poetry for kids mm. you know mm. that's it it follows the same rules everything it's just written for young people which i also love wow because young people like kids deserve poetry you know uh they don't have to read words well and and there is there is a sense of rhythm that develops now when you when you uh, learn poetry or you start studying even twinkle twinkle little star you you're reading you you're learning about beat you're learning about tempo you're learning about meter of a line even though you're not learning technically but subconsciously is being ingrained that there is a rhythm to yeah. row 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 your boat gently down the stream merrily 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 life is but a dream i mean it's yeah uh, but this rhythm that at a very young age that we develop at what point do you think it starts fading away even before shakespeare comes shakespeare comes in in like say in class 9 10 or class 10 yeah. uh, really is when shakespeare comes in but when do you think this rhythm fades away or why does it fade away uh because i think somewhere in that middle right i don't know how this has happened but between nursery rhymes and then your great poets of through the ages right something gets lost in the world of poetry i don't know because i'll tell you my favorite memories from when i was like 9 10 11 mm. uh my mom used to find these poems okay i don't know how she used to find these books and she used to find these poems which really spoke to you as a 9 year old hmm. you know i'll give you an example it was this poem called homework oh homework i hate you you stink <laughs> i wish i could wash you away in the sink and it's yeah it's basically a long poem about how much homework sucks and that for me is the nursery rhyme for 9 year olds you know uh, what i mean it's like as a 9 year old you don't want to hear about daffodils or like stars or you know Or, or beauty or love hmm. you want to hear about how much people hate homework because that's what you do that's your life <laughs> you know um and and i feel like somewhere down the line right there isn't enough poetry being written for 8 year olds to 14 year olds right you know 
And and that's where I think, you know, exactly what you said, right? Just like Nasri Rhymes, like rhythmic poetry that can be said out loud, but almost has that anthemic value, you know, it feels like an anthem mm. for you. Mm. Um, I think somewhere just, I don't know, maybe it's being written, but we don't talk about it enough. Maybe it's not being written. No, I, I mean, I'll, I'll think aloud here and tell me if that resonates with you, is that as children grow up, Education is geared, unfortunately, towards careers or jobs or earning a living and not developing your inner self. So poetry is not necessarily looked upon as something that will get you into a particular profession as you grow up. So yeah. this is soft skill. Hai na, abhi hai. Okay, language is na. Why do you want to learn poetry? anymore is could that be one of the reasons the the, the growing pressure um, on children as they keep escalating from class to class to keep preparing for that future profession to keep preparing for uh, to earn a living and poetry is not looked as something that would get them there could that be a reason why it fades away yeah yeah and i think ah oh, yeah that's such a good question because I can't dispute, like, if you think about it, we can't dispute the inherent truth of that, right? Mm. Which is that poetry is not a career option mm. in the way maths mm. and science are so fundamental uh, to also just beyond everything, right? Maths and science are so fundamental to your understanding of the universe. Mm. And poetry is also taught in the same way that maths and science are, which is that you know, you have an exam, you have a test, you, mm. have to, you get a poem, you have to interpret it. Uh, the element of fun. Mm. And I feel like English teachers define how you consume your poetry. Yep. Because there are two kinds of English teachers. There are supremely fun English teachers and there are really kadoos English teachers. <laughs> and and I, I have never seen in between. I have never heard of in between. Right. You know, like a non-descript English right, teacher. Right, right. Uh, for a lot of people, English teachers are the people who sort of got them through school, you mm -hmm. know, especially the nerds, you know, the slightly less popular ones. Yeah. Um, English teachers, when they're good, they're great because they make you have fun with your lessons and your literature and, and they enjoy it so much themselves that they impart that onto you. Um, and, and once in a while, they just hate what they do. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about that. But again, right, because... Poetry and literature, these are such fun subjects inherently. Hmm. Like Shakespeare was written to entertain. He didn't write it to be studied in classrooms. He was trying to entertain like drunk, normal people. Um, okay. And he had to keep their attention, right? That's why you have your lewd jokes in Shakespeare. That's why it always has humor right at the top. Yeah. Uh, just to be able to keep, keep people's attention. But it's interesting what you've just said about English teachers, because my first episode of this podcast was um, with my first ever teacher in life, uh, who happened to be my English teacher, uh, who taught me how to speak the way I'm speaking today. And she mentioned a story about how she got into class and got children to write an essay on a co on cockroach. And the wow. children went, ew, but she <laughs> managed to bring out a lot of fun angles to it. And then the whole class just submitted essays on cockroach. And which is a very interesting story because it is that perspective, the angle that you bring. So talking about poetry with school education in as, as children learn it. And then as we grow into adults, we come back to it and then we struggle to sometimes 
relate to it or understand uh, another point that you said is rather than just read poetry read it out rather than read it in your mind read it out because that action itself brings a lot of relatability and that's here's my question what do people discover about poetry as adults that they didn't get a chance to when in school oh my god that is such a good question um uh, so first things first right as an adult you know the way you consume poetry is not out of compulsion hmm i think one of the thing that things that kills a child's love for poetry is having to consume it and interpret it out of compulsion you know uh something that you may have adored and loved uh you end up hating because of the forced nature of the interaction hmm. i i often think two things about like teaching poetry in schools right so i'm going to digress go ahead go ahead please <laughs> it's non linear um, poetry this entire conversation <laughs> <laughs> so right if i had to if i had to if you had to ask me what is the best way to teach poetry in schools i would give you two options which are both highly unrealistic within our existing school system hmm. uh but these are the two i i believe would work the first one is actually pretty simple and could actually be done you know if enough teachers committed to it which is that when you a you curate poems according to the age of the child all right this should be universal right what we spoke about nursery rhymes and homework or homework etc mm. um it, it's when we used to do poetry workshops for like 10 11 12 12 literally i would just start by reading out that poem and you would see the joy on their faces that poetry could be this fun and this rebellious and and what they don't realize is that joy and that rebellion is the cornerstone of poetry mm. you know mm. the poets who we are teaching in school never intended for their poems to be taught at school correct they intended for their poems to be their voices put out into the world their little rebellions right. um so that that's sort of like the first thing right you curate as per the age the second thing is the thing that always kills me about my memories of studying poetry in school is that we would write a poem a poem was read to us and then and the interpretation was handed to us on a plate you know mm. i think one of the beauty beautiful thing about things about poetry is that you could read a poem and i could read a poem and we could read the same poem in different ways yeah. you know what you get out of the poem and what i get out of it that's the point you know because otherwise if i just want to make a statement i would make a statement yeah. you know if i want to tell you that i think war is bad um i would just tell you that uh you know yeah. but if i want to write a poem about it it's because i want you to play with it in your mind i want you to come to your own conclusions and when you give a child a poem and then immediately an interpretation of the poem you're killing the will of that child to play with the poem mm-hmm. so what i would do is i would say you take a poem every child <laughs> interprets it however they want there's no wrong answer mm. okay mm. but what they have to do is they have to interpret it they have to say that this poem means this and this is what i have got out of this poem and in that way you're not teaching kids the answer to the poem you're teaching them how to relate to a poem how to read a poem or how the to or actually, how to relate to themselves by way yeah, of the poem exactly exactly i think you've articulated 
very beautifully hmm. what I think it would actually do hmm. for them. And, and the second way is actually much more radical hmm. and it could never work. Go ahead. Here's, Go ahead. Here's the plan. Huh. Okay. So, so you don't teach poetry in school. All right. Okay. You don't teach, you teach literature, stories, everything. You don't teach poetry. Hmm. What you do is, see, kids have grown up with nursery rhymes and everything. Hmm. You, you take poetry out of their lives. Then when they're around fifth standard or sixth, okay, starting fifth, sixth, you have these, uh, you have these sort of shady people, hmm. all right, shady looking people who appear outside schools. And just like you distribute drugs, right, they distribute poetry. So you get these small pamphlets of poetry, which are like, say, three poems, okay. you know. So you're a school kid and you're sort of leaving school. And this guy, maybe two years older than you, you know, he comes up to you and he's like, hey, listen, these three poems changed my life. He hands them to you and then he just walks away, okay? Now, if you get caught with these poems, these poems get confiscated and you get punished, okay? <laughs> so, so, so now, you have this thing in your hand which is illicit, which is illegal. Now, everyone's in on this, okay? But, but as far as you know, this thing that you have in your hand, is it's very dangerous and, and you read it and these are poems again written for you, right? So you're a... You're, you're, six, you're in sixth standard and you're reading about how how mathematics sucks. Mm. And you're thinking that this is the most beautiful thing that you could have come across, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and, and through the years, it just is that until I, I would say you're 16 and then maybe then you can be formally taught. And all of those pamphlets no, should have one blank page at the end where you can write your own book. And, and every year you are introduced, like every three months or so, you're handed a new pamphlet in wow. a very shady way. Um, and in this way, I think poetry goes back to, I, I think poetry would excite kids. Mm. <laughs> you know, it, mm. would, it would be what it's supposed to be, not in a textbook, but out in the real world, words being sort of passed on to each other, uh, you know, by people. And I think it could be insane. People would love poetry. They probably won't learn very much mm. in this second listing, mm. but they would love the art form. Shantanu, I am loving peeking <laughs> into this window that you're into your brain that has just opened up. I did not know this <laughs> this fantasy covert operation fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Said. I also it want is. to just caution our listeners in case any of the authorities are listening. There are no drugs being distributed outside school. It is not happening. This is just a hypothetical scenario uh, of poems, of poetry. It is not code for anything. I just <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Yeah. This is fantastic. This is this is a this is a film. It's a web series of <laughs> you know. Yeah, an alternate universe where poetry is. Yeah, easy. because you know it's. That is the drug we all need. We need poetry. Yeah. Because all of us, as we grow up, we are looking to unlock ourselves through some medium or the other. And poetry is just such a, such a cathartic experience, um, yes. you know, that all of us need. And it's the medication we need. Uh, especially in a disconnected time like this, where we're overwhelmed with everything else, and then just poetry just puts it all back. It's it's the twinkle, twinkle little star um, for all exactly. of us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just wondering what those stars are yeah. in the sky. Yeah. You know, it's just that's what poetry is. So you studied science, 
and i'm going to take you back again into into school uh, we'll keep doing that non linear form of conversation but what at what point in your life did you tell yourself or did you wake up one day and say i'm going to pursue poetry as a way of life not just a profession what point was that yeah that that's a great question like it's so hard right it's so hard to answer that because it was never a decision um i uh poetry is just it's not a thing you should be pursuing professionally right mm. and in a way i don't like it's never i've, I've always said this i've ne- i i have never trusted myself to be a full time poet mm. um just because i'm aware that the level of talent and commitment and dedication you need to have to actually become a full time full time poet mm. is incredibly hard and there are very few people i know who can actually do that and the few people i do know who are doing that like massive salute to them mm. and uh right i think so because poetry has always been part of my life mm. right it's been a constant mm. right going back to sort of the love situation it's almost like you're asking where did i know i wanted to marry poet <laughs> right <laughs> and 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 you don't take that decision like that right it's like it just builds in your subconscious over years um i would say everything contributed to it when i was 16 and 17 i used to actually because the we only had a desktop right i didn't have a laptop mm. so i used to be sitting in this room because the laptop it, the device used to almost be like right here mm. like a meter away from where it is right now and i would sit in that corner of the room and i would just be writing you know and i would force my parents to read the poems i repeat they were horrible poems um i would force my friends to also read them mm. and i think that's when the seeds were really sown because that was my you know training montage period as a poet mm. that's that's that just that it's the equivalent of doing 100 pushups mm-hmm. um and but again i would say the third introduction to poetry when i was 21 i was again weirdly sitting in this same room and i saw a poem uh, this video all right of a slam poet his name is anis mojgani this was i think the second or third slam poetry video that i watched okay um and it's a he's performing at seattle grand slam it's from 2006 the video okay and um and it blew me away he starts with the line like uh, literally you have been given the a direct order to rock the how are we on swearing in this show oh we are absolutely please oh, go awesome. ahead and swear so, yeah. so he starts by saying you have been given a direct order to rock the fuck out okay and that's the poem the poem is how you need to rock out like your life depends on it that is the whole poem and that was my sort of moment when i fell in love with poetry a bit slam poetry in particular because i saw what it could do it was like you know it's just like someone smacking your head and just opening it up right. to this new universe right um and i think when i saw that video you know anis mojgani the poet he remains my idol always because that was i think i didn't know it know it mm. but i think i knew deep down that mm. i have found my new love <laughs> you wow. know like this is what i want want to be doing and and yeah that is the moment i would say how long ago was this uh i was 21 so 8 years ago now 8 years ago wow yeah and then 
you you are of course in Pune right now, and then um, did you uh, you you when did you found the airplane poetry movement? And tell me a little bit about that. What led to that? Yeah, same. So a great question because it's the same story, right? It's that. So Anis Mojgani has another poem called uh, "For Those Who Can Ride in Airplanes for the First Time." Uh-huh. If I had to compile a list of my top five poems, that would be in there every time. You know, because when you have a top five poems or top five songs list, right. that list changes every six months, right? Right. Um, but but this poem would be like a fixture. You know, the other four would probably change. Right. Um, and airplane poetry movement was like a little tribute to him ah. because we took the airplane from that poem. And Sonandini and I, that time, we were interning with this organization. Sonandini is your co-founder of the airplane. Correct. Okay. okay. Yes, hmm. we founded it together. Right. And uh, and everything we've done with Airplane Poetry Moment, we've done together hmm. um, at every stage. And yeah, and uh, we simultaneously, she actually, because of Sarah K's poetry, and but she also loves Anis and me because of that one video, really. We fell in love with slam poetry and we just pitched to this organization that, hey, you know, can we start Poetry Slants? And we could record videos, maybe. And and that's how it started. We started by doing one event in Bangalore on January 24th hmm. of 2014. Hmm. Um, that's when we did our first official event. We did a slam. There were like 12 people there. The winners got books. And then we sort of started doing workshops because we realized that like people didn't know what slam poetry was. They used to come with these notebooks and they would just sort of read it out in a very boring way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were like, no, 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 that's, that's not quite it. <laughs> so then we started doing these workshops. I think for two, over the next two years, we did at least 125 workshops. Wow. Uh, for, I would say, 1,500 people over the next two years. Wow. Yeah, 2014 to 2016, all of them free. Because for us, it wasn't like, can we make money from this? It was like, we know this and we want other people to get to Can we this. make poets out of this? <laughs> Correct. Right. Yes. Because, you know, for us, it's like if people don't know about this art form, hmm. um, if they don't know what they can do through it, then how will they embrace it? You know? Um, for the benefit of two kinds of listeners, uh, the younger ones who are still understanding what the world of poetry is and the older ones who, who have studied the classical uh, poets... Uh, in their school days. What is slam poetry? Ah, slam poetry is such a nowadays polarizing term. Um, Slam poetry itself is nothing, right? It's just a cool name Hmm. for a very old phenomenon, which is uh, spoken word poetry. Um, And spoken word poetry is uh, is poems that are written to be performed. Hmm. So you write them with the intention of performing them on stage. And, and when you do that, ideally, when you are writing a spoken word poem, and everyone has their own process, but a lot of spoken word poets I know, they don't actually write their pieces. They just record it as voice notes, or they just, you know, say it out loud and perform it for a friend. Um, you, you very, you know, you deliberately write so that it sounds good when you say it on stage and it's accessible to a listener who is listening to it for the first time. Uh-huh. We often say this, when you're reading a poem, you can read a line three times, you know? So I'm reading the first line. It's a 10-line mm-hmm. poem. Mm-hmm. I, I can read the first line, the second line, and then the third line, I may not understand. Mm-hmm. So then I'll read it again. And then I'll read it again, and then I'll get it. When I'm performing a poem for you, I don't. you don't have that luxury. 
if you don't understand the third line of my poem, I'm moved on to my fourth line. Mm. And you're still thinking in your head, ki, wo third line kya tha? Mm. and then I'm on to my fifth line, you know, and now you've lost. Right. So when you're writing for the stage, you have to keep in mind that you are speaking to an audience who is going to hear every line just once. Mm. And you have to have that clarity in your thought. There's nowhere to hide. You know, you want to convey complex thoughts in a simple way. Right. With slam poetry, uh, with spoken word poetry. And when I say simple, I, does, I don't mean you have to use simple language, mm. you know, or that your writing has to be stupid or silly. Mm. What I mean is that there has to be extreme clarity of thought. Your imagery has to be clear. Mm. The things that you are saying have to be clear. Um, and, and, and I think that's the key to spoken word. Is there a physical energy to writing that piece? Because you're looking at it as a from a performance point of view? Depends on the poet. Right. That, that's so like poet-centric, right? Or, like, or a uh, visual energy. There needs to be a visual energy. There has to be. Right. You have to be. Yeah, you have to have some element of performance in your mind somewhere. And for some people, that's very overt. There are some people right. who write their poems by performing them. Mm. You know, mm. they just perform them in front of a mirror and then they write down what they remember. Uh, and there are some people... Um, you know, who just absolutely just write and then they convert it into a performance. Right. Like, okay, how can I make this into something like performance? Is there an example that you could uh, give out or or maybe tell me about some a video that people could watch and get a reference of that I can link in the show notes maybe? Oh, videos. So many videos. Or just the uh, whole commune treasure trove of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, let's uh, let's do it, right? Let's uh, If we can link two, one in English, one in Hindi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right? I think if I had to pick an English poem that represents spoken word poetry very beautiful, beautifully. Uh, uh, so don't don't kill me for this bias, but I'm going to choose two commune pieces only. No, absolutely. Um, Why would I mean, yes. people would kill um, for commune? <laughs> 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 you know? Um, I would uh, for for spoken word. I choose for English. I choose Rabia Kapoor's of course. The Introverts. She, I, her, her name immediately came to mind when I yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. She's this is a wonderful poet, and she sort of evolved through the years. So anyone who has the time, watch Introverts Banter, and then watch her latest pieces that have come. Mm. So all her mm. poems that are on the Commune channel, just watch them from oldest to newest, ah. and what you will get out of that is beyond seeing the poems themselves you'll actually see Rabia's journey from being a 17-year-old poet to a 22, I think, 23-year-old right. poet. Right. You know, you'll see her journey of writing, of how she uses words, of oh. what she's thinking about. It's really interesting. Um, for Hindi, there are two that I could suggest and we can link any one of them. I think Hindustani, Musalman. Uh, Hussain Hedri, I was... Spoken yeah, word poet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's a poem it, it that's, that's the shaken best. the nation. It's it's a piece that has shaken yeah. the nation entirely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And without intending to. Mm. It's not written in a very bombastic or loud way. It's not performed in... You know, the parody of slam poetry is where someone is 
intensely passionate for no reason yes. you know yes. ki you're doing that overacting and, yeah. and that and that's why sample chase so then bold, you're just slamming no you're not doing poetry correct <laughs> there's no poetry huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i think that's why it's so polarizing huh. some people just do it so badly huh. Huh. <laughs> uh, but hindustani musliman i think is the gold standard hmm. for hmm. spoken word that i've seen like across languages right hmm. in this thing I also really like Saw Hazar Likhne Wale by Rakesh Tiwari which ah, he performed at Spoken 2017. Yes. Uh great poem. Wow. Great poem, great energy, yeah. great representation of spoken word again for me. You right. know across languages when I watch that poem I feel happy. Right. You know I just feel happy. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah. So so this whole concept of slam poetry with pieces that are written to be performed has existed in our culture for a long time with yeah. our mushairas with our kavi sammelans you know with uh, in in across the country in in various languages when Uh, people have come out and written to perform i mean rahat indori saab the late rahat indori saab i mean we absolutely you know were honored to have him on our commune stage and we miss his presence today uh, bless his soul but he was another a slam poet a performance Ooh, poet yeah it doesn't get Born more powerful than him so it, it's not restricted only to the english language not even close and uh, the beautiful thing about spoken word poetry at its best as it's gone across the world ha huh. is it has been adopted in so many languages like spoken word you know is is just every culture has spoken word poetry ha, in some form ha. slam was just this compact it was like a rebranding correct you know? <laughs> slam poetry was a rebranding that happened right. which just got it back mm. and and i think slam poetry became a gateway drug to all the deeper culturally rooted uh performance arts for i would say for urban people hmm, hmm. you know again i would just like to point out in case authorities are listening the gateway drug is a metaphor here it is not a literal i'm just say i have to we live in those times so <laughs> okay yeah it's But, a metaphor yes so so here's my here's my question the next one is that with school education shantanu we are still very traditional in our teaching methods with poetry yeah. there are the greats the yeah. classic english poets and playwrights and you know they are incredible examples they have set benchmarks of various styles of writing there are a lot of technicalities in it which is very important to learn yeah. but we also keep saying that we should upgrade we should evolve our education system our teaching of poetry but we are still stuck there so how do we evolve or how do we upgrade what direction do we take what can we introduce in our modern school curriculums that makes poetry a whole lot relatable and endearing uh, and attractive as a way of life for students that is that is a great question i think this is the fourth time i'm saying this today but uh, that's a great question how to upgrade the curriculum is something i'm 10 or 15 years away from being you know evolved enough or qualified mm. enough to answer no sure so let me I just i mean i'll just to add that, to that yeah, question yeah. because yeah. when you have done hundreds of these workshops yeah with so many people who want who are now young adults adolescents even adults who have come to learn poetry what do you feel is missing was missing in their school uh, time that they come to you to learn from absolutely and that we can answer because i also the last part of your question right when we used to do the workshops we used to go in with only one outcome in mind hmm. you know that the people who are there 
should fall in love with spoken word poetry. Hmm. That's what we wanted. Hmm. We knew we couldn't teach them everything in our three hours that we had with them. But what we wanted is that these people who are in the room, they fall in love with the art form. The art form becomes a home for them in some way. And I think the way to do that is to, A, you know, it's those two methods that I said, right? Um, so if we have to make a playbook almost, one is don't force interpretations on students. Hmm. Don't tell them that there's only one way to interpret a poem and definitely don't tell them that interpretation on day one. Hmm. Teach them how to interpret a poem and they will, you know, they will consume poetry for the rest of their lives rather than dreading it. Uh, the second thing is, I would say, make them read it out loud. Right. You know, start making children perform poems, make them perform it theatrically. You know, make them reinvent it. Give them a Shakespeare poem and say, write this as a rap song. That is where things would become fun because Shakespeare was like the rapper of the 16th, 17th century. Right. You know, he was uh, the rapper of that era. And I apologize to all English teachers for saying 16th, 17th century. I know it's it's one of those. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure which. <laughs> so please don't. Can we, I, I know every English teacher who may have happened to chance upon this podcast is in their heads thinking, no, this guy is dead. Uh, uh, yeah, but anyway. I know of one English uh, teacher who will not think that and she's listening right uh, now, so for sure. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Amazing. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, so listen, make them play with poetry, right? Give them Shakespeare, make them reinvent it as a modern day rap song. Um Give them old poems and ask them to like bring it to life almost like as a stage play using the poems, uh, the lines as dialogues. Hmm. Make them play with the poem. Make them play with the poem. Make them write a reply to the poem. You know, make, and, and in this way, they will get to know the poem in a way that you could never teach them by giving them notes. Hmm. The problem is that this is an incredibly inefficient way of teaching which is why, you know, in a school system, it would struggle. But this is what I would say. You know, you want to make kids fall in love with poetry. Don't gatekeep poetry from them. Give them poetry. Let them, someone will come to you and very passionately say that Eminem is a better poem, a poet than Shakespeare. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you allow this person to play with poetry. Now, this person is obviously, objectively speaking, wrong. <laughs> All right. Mm. This 12-year-old who is claiming that Eminem is better than Shakespeare is wrong. But that's not the point. You know, the point is he's thinking deeply about the art form. Mm. And as a teacher, in my opinion, over there, you have won. Two years later or five years later or 10 years later, he will realize himself that he's wrong. Right. He'll be like, oh, okay, wait, there's more to this than I realize, mm. you know. But let him realize that. Because the moment you are spoon-feeding him that, you are taking away his right to play with poetry, to interpret it his own way and to take ownership of it. Mm. And I think, and that's the thing about education, right? If I want to teach you something, I can't give you a, a control over that thing. Because then you might learn it in a way that I don't agree with. Right. And in a school system, when you are tested on it, you might say something that is objectively speaking very wrong. Right. And so forget poetry, right? Even physics and maths and everything. 
if i let you take ownership of it you can come to hilariously wrong conclusions and and i and, and this is why i don't blame teachers so i don't blame the education system right? right right it's it's this beast that we've constructed right and we have to fit it into that and there are certain freedoms we can't grant our children but with poetry if you don't have freedom you have nothing you know oh. and that's why you have x amount of people just dreading the art that's a beautiful line with poetry if you don't have freedom you have nothing and this freedom right it's a double edged sword because the reasons why structures help meter rhyme everything is to build in that discipline because poetry is also a craft right uh just like to be a great driver you need to know how to turn on your indicator right right, right. uh you need to know how to take a right turn and you need to know what are the rules of the road and everything this is not a relevant conversation for the indian context but anyway we will, <laughs> i'll i'll humor you and go ahead <laughs> absolutely right but but it's actually going to make sense yeah. because okay if we run with this analogy right a poet who doesn't know the rules of uh, of meter and rhyme and metaphors and the figures of speech and is breaking all these rules is like a 13 year old driver on the indian road who just knows how to use the accelerator and brake and clutch hmm. doesn't know indicator exists hmm. doesn't know how to you know like high beam low beam doesn't know anything and is just driving hmm. this person can drive but they can't drive <laughs> you know what i mean uh, not in a way that is good and sustainable yeah, 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 yeah. same for poetry right that freedom is a double edged sword because on one level it gives people that urge to write poetry right. it gives you you know i can break the structures i don't have to rhyme i don't have to use meter but on some level this uh, it's been said many times to break the rules you must first know the rules uh. and i think the foundation of freedom has to be knowledge right because freedom without knowledge is right. responsible freedom right and and that's what we see on indian roads mm. right mm. it is responsible freedom <laughs> and but, but but that's what right you have to know the rules before you break the rules so i would say to any young poet who's listening to it to this that yes you don't have to write yes you don't have to use meter but if you don't know how to do those things in the first place you're not breaking the rules you're just not following rules uh, and there's a difference between those two things well said um hmm. yeah and 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 that's what right the double edged sword is that it can bend this this thing that has come with spoken word poetry unfortunately right that you don't have to follow x amount of rules is that you get then a generation of people who don't want to even learn the rules hmm. who don't want to know the rules and then then, then there's a dip in quality more advice for aspiring poets and spoken word artists uh, how do they All right so now they they know a little bit about the rules they know a little bit about um, you know expressing themselves in a certain format and then wanting to break that format and bring their own voice out how do you navigate the world of spoken word today because it has suddenly become such a movement <laughs> that's such a tragic question anand because so uh, <laughs> <laughs> because spoken word poetry without live events right is like 
you know, a rock show without electric guitars. Oh, it's oh. it's nice, but it's not the same. No, <laughs> I mean, you you and I have been part of you know spoken fest. We were there, India's Correct. biggest storytelling, a spoken word festival, storytelling, poetry, music, all of that, and we've seen thousands of people sitting on those grounds and. Uh, for those listening, in fact, Spoken Fest, if 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 you're not aware, is uh, is India's biggest spoken word festival that happened over successive years, um, brought by Commune, which was which is again the arts collective that Shantun and I have been a part of. Uh, he still is. Um, I'm always there around, satelliting around Commune, and uh, we we just we miss that that live energy. Yeah. Those it's. And it, it, it's really sad because if you're a young spoken word poet who's just getting to the art form, yeah. like, like I, my biggest advice to you is wait, <laughs> you know, wait, have patience because the true magic of spoken word is life. It can never be replicated on video. The experience of watching someone who's two feet away from you and just spilling their guts on stage that can never be replicated completely like i mean online on online yeah but but, yeah. but digital is the way to go right now i know i mean in in various aspects we it'll never replace uh, offline or or the live energy but how do they navigate the world digitally now yes so first of all they can try to come we have a thing called scout club hmm. where every week actually we invite people to send in entries we choose the 10 best pieces that we get and we invite them to perform for our internal curation team. Uh, it's very beautiful. Um, and and just like Commune, right, there's places where you can perform online. Hmm. If now, to answer that question, you know, like in a very, yeah, as you said, right, realistic way, considering the time we live in, if you're a young spoken word poet, you actually have one advantage, which is that you have, don't be in a rush to perform, Okay. Um, in, instead, consume as much as you can. Hmm. Watch good poets, read good poetry, write every day. Even if it's a journal entry, don't write poetry every day. Writing poetry is very hard and time-consuming and energy-consuming, but write every day. Put words down on paper in, and almost treat this as your cocoon time. Because at some point, things will open up. You know, things will get this thing. And of course, test out your poems, right? Perform for little groups of people. Perform at online events. Perform for your family and mm. friends. Mm. Do the things that you can. Perform for real people, I would say, as much as possible. Even if it's three people who are your mother, father, brother, sister. <laughs> you know, um, Perform for real people as much as you can because that is where your skills would actually grow. Otherwise, what will happen is you'll become a person who's used to performing for camera and that too for your laptop camera and when you have to perform in front of real people that might become a very alien experience for you so don't forget to do that and then when things open up now you will be ready to take on the world hmm. when hussein henry first came for a commune show right he'd been performing at open mics for years yeah you know yeah yeah that prepared him for that moment that breakout moment. Yeah. You know, all the uh, Aranya Johar, I uh, saw this video of her when she was 14 years old mm. and she was performing at an open mic, mm. you know. And I often think people say she was 17 and she broke through, she had her breakout moment, you know, with millions of views for her poems. But she had been performing for three years before that. Correct. 
before she had that moment. You know, it was three years to be an overnight success. Yeah. So as a poet, don't be in a rush, you know. Perform for people, write as much as you can, experiment, have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then your moment will come. You know, you spoke about how you had written hundreds of poems at the age of 16. And, you know, you're not, you of course, don't want to talk about what those poetry was, which is fine. But <laughs> that was the preparation which gave you that discipline to, you know, it, it, it kept honing your skills. It, you kept yeah. building your craft. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, I remember Hussein Hedri, you know, in, in his initial open mic days when, when we had met and then just a little while before he came into commune, he and I met and he spoke to me about how he had this Dabba phone. It wasn't even a mm-hmm. smartphone of sorts. It was just one, it was a phone with a screen and he would just keep writing in it, writing in it, writing in it, writing in it. And he had a f- mobile phone. He didn't have a computer. I mean, he was, he had left his corporate career and become a writer and at one point this the phone got spoiled and he lost all his work it got spoiled or it it got lost because that phone didn't even have a cloud connection Hmm. where he could back up his work or you know sync it and nothing but he lost all of that but what he retained were the tools that he developed his craft was with him that could never be lost so it takes a lot of discipline to become an overnight success like you said takes a long yeah. time to become an overnight success but it really does mm-hmm. and i think that's a perfect story right that story that you just told yeah. of us energy because what you retain ultimately when you're writing regularly the writing itself doesn't matter mm. what matters is other skills that you are internalizing you know playing with language mm. seeing how you can use Adding a word over here, what effect does that have? Removing a word, what effect does that have? Mm. Using a rhyme like this, how does that change the tone of your poem? Uh, and those skills get internalized. And I think that story is wonderful. Are you trying to change the world, Shantanu, with your writing? With your poetry? Me? Yeah. Personally? Yeah. Yeah, I would have to say no. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time... When I was arrogant enough to believe that I, as an individual human, had the capacity to... Because I never wanted to change the world through my poetry, right? Mm. Uh, But I really believed that by giving a platform to other poets, Mm. I always felt like that was my place in the world. You know, I realized early enough, by the way, that I'm not a great poet. And I'm a poet. I love poetry. Mm. I love writing. Mm. Uh, but I'm not a great poet mm. uh, because I have seen great poetry and I know very, very well that I'm not that mm. and I'm very comfortable with that. What I used to believe is that I'm great at platforming poets, mm. you know, mm. finding who's good. And and I believe that they could change the world, those poets. Could. Um, now I'm at that stage in life where I've understood that it is incredibly arrogant to believe that any individual can change the world, True. you know, whoever that individual is. Mm. Um but I do believe uh, Haldith Kaur had said something very beautifully when I had interviewed her. And then I, she, she'd also put that out on this thought out on social media, which is that poetry can't change the world. Hmm. But poems can change people and people can change the world. Oh. And I found that so beautiful. Say that again. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's literally, and I think this is the exact quote. And if I'm misquoting, I apologize. But it was that poetry can't change the world, but poems can change people and people can change the world. Oh, man. 
that's yeah it's so simple but such a beautiful what a what a striking thought it is it is and you think about it right the job of a phone is not to directly change the world it can't yeah. engineering can change the world yeah technology can change the world medicine can change the world yeah our poetry can hopefully inspire the people who are changing the world you know can spark that thought in them that causes them to change the world can give them the belief in themselves to do something either individually or collectively that causes change in the world mm. and hadid i don't think we can put it better than oh, what she said absolutely so how are you seeing with the advent of spoken word with so many artists out there so many poets exp- people expressing uh, through various art forms how are you seeing the world change around you now oh another tragic question in the context of the pandemic you've gone from wonderful questions to tragic questions <laughs> yeah. no, i'm like this is this is transitioning into a it's, into it's a shakespearean odyssey right? now yeah it is it's like uh, uh, this podcast episode is a representation of life right it started with brightness and joy and wonder and slowly it's become more and more tragic until it's going to abruptly end so I'm, was that a review <laughs> No. I'm going to edit all. this part out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no you have full freedom to edit. But it's so true, right? Because the questions have become sadder and heavier with time. See, this is a sad question for me personally because I feel like I have seen so much less of the world hmm. by being in my room. Sure. For the last what and a half years. Yeah. It's true and I think it has taken a toll on me hmm. because there's only so many times you can call people after you haven't met them for a long time yeah. you know yeah. because you you feel like that connection is little bit just that human connection is little bit lost there's yeah. only so many times you can watch online performances and feel the same emotion that something live invokes in you there's so much only so much and you can read articles on the internet yeah because i feel like in the last year and a half i have been like i've been getting second hand experience of the world mm and i'm not complaining because i have been supremely privileged during this trip mm. right as mm. has anyone who has had the privilege to be at home and working from home and not having to really literally risk their lives by going out of city but the cost is that i have been experiencing like a like a, like in fight club they say right a copy of a copy yeah because i am seeing people perform but through a screen mm. i am seeing be, uh, i'm seeing festivals but on a screen i am hearing conversations about fun events that have happened but i'm reading those on social media mm. i am not experiencing that art those human moments myself so uh, when you ask the question right like what do you see in the performance arts world honestly the answers i see nothing in the last year you know i have only seen photocopies of what has happened yeah. and hence my ability to form an opinion is also that much sure. you know i believe like condensed sure. and i hate that about myself right now sure. but but yeah i would say you know things are opening up mm. and i think getting out there and performing is you know i i see it happening I think we will see little festivals also spring up. Huh. Fingers crossed, maybe Spoken Fest. You know, uh, if things work out. Uh, but whatever we do, we should do responsibly. But by by changing the world, I I also meant when there are so much, then there's so much spoken word happening. There is so much uh, expression happening. Do you see 
a heightened level of awareness of sensitivity of empathy of kindness does that does the you know the more expression there is the more spoken word there is do you see this increasing is that a happier question happy question Thank for you. sure <laughs> yeah, very much huh. uh, i can say this i'm a better person by virtue of being part of that spoken word universe mm. for um you know eight years now um only because it helps me listen better mm. you know um it helps me understand that people have points of view mm. and and there is reasoning and thought behind those points of view um because that's what spoken word what what a poetry slam is ultimately is dialogue mm. right mm. is 14 15 people coming on stage and just giving you their opinion mm. and in this way you open your mind up to the fact because still one of our biggest criticism of urban spoken word that we receive and we agree with is that it's still very you know limited to a certain section of society of people, yeah, yeah, right? yeah yeah a certain section of society right um but what it does right is it opens you up to the fact that everyone you're looking at you know is experiencing life very richly mm. is you know has they don't have opinions very flippantly there is a lot of weight behind those opinions and then when you hear opinions of other sections of society when you're hearing you know even outside of that echo chamber yeah when you're hearing things you find yourself being more open to it you find yourself being more open to listening and saying that hey my view of the world was wrong <laughs> you know um however i would say that that is just Uh, i have seen that in myself i have seen that in other people mm. but on a macro scale has spoken word poetry reached enough people and it goes back to that same question right have we reached enough sections of society for the change to be meaningful mm. um and that is something that is very debatable something that you know we would have to work on right um yeah so in order to create more love for poetry storytelling spoken word all of these verbal forms of expression or or written forms of expression how could we empower our educators to bring more love for spoken word i mean within again all the current structures and systems there is so little that they could do right mm. I'll, i'll tell you can i tell you some examples of fun things teachers have done mm, mm. like in bangalore international school there's a teacher named bridget raju Okay. She organized a poetry slam in inter-school poetry slam and she invited schools from across the country. They used to have 15 schools every year who would fly down to Bangalore just to perform in the slam. Wow. And those slams were the best poetry slams I have attended. Because poetry slams are meant for school children. It's meant for teens and young adults. to express themselves and to come to terms with the world that they are suddenly being shoved into and 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 that for me was exceptional uh, genuinely i mean this right the best poetry slams i've attended are those inter school slams i really mean this um that's one thing she did and i think teachers can do this you can organize slams in your schools you don't have to have people from all over the country mm. you can invite three other schools from the same city mm. you know send in teams watch the kids performing for each other and i promise you it would be an experience that you will love as uh, like if you are an english teacher who loves poetry mm. you will enjoy it so much because you will see your children in a completely new light in a completely different light 
the quiet kid who sits back in the class or in the back of the class and doesn't engage that much when that kid performs a slam poem for the first time you it will blow your mind mm. you will not know that they had it in them you know the kid who's really naughty and pretends they don't care about poetry when they write a deeply personal poem and they come up on stage and perform it you will be like i did not know this kid had that side to them wow. you will learn about your students in a completely new way i really believe that slam is for young people mm. slam poetry mm. it's for young people you know because it's them coming to terms with the world as the older you get the more you appreciate page poetry and you know the less you want to you know go into this high energy atmosphere but for kids and i remember that talk by george watsky which stayed with me and he is a rapper and a spoken word poet and he was speaking about how he used to be a horrible kid in school mm. you know and one reason for that like he used to get into fights with his teachers with his classmates and everything and one reason for that is he had no way to channel his energy Hmm. and one teacher recognized that the other teachers were busy punishing him one teacher recognized that and signed him up for a poetry slam and when he started performing poetry that's when he actually realized that he was channeling his energy in a positive way rather than in a negative way hmm. Hmm. and he went from being now he's an extremely successful rapper and spoken word poet um and it's all because of that one teacher who signed him up for a slam I strongly believe in the power of slam poetry for school children. Right. You know, so I would say if you're a if you're a teacher and there's one thing you want to do within the system that you could implement, do a poetry slam, make them watch like 5 6 videos, give them 2 weeks to write something, make them come invite other schools or start by just doing it in your own school. Yeah. Uh that's what my mom did by the way. Mm. She uh used to do these poetry shows in her school. you know so she would get music plus poetry right. she would play these cool videos for them she would make them perform for each other and 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 in that way she got to know her students in a very very beautiful way wow um and i think that's one thing i think anyone could do and it's easy my favorite thing about a poetry slam is you don't need anything to do a poetry slam right right you need five people and five poems that's it that's your poetry slam. um who are okay finally who are your influences uh today um both within the country and uh from across the world recommendations people that you know we could follow hmm okay influences all right i'm going to use the term influences it's sort of that way so um i would say anyone who is listening please uh, i would say follow rakesh tiwari's poetry I think he is one of the most beautiful voices in our poetry ecosystem right now. Mm. Uh he has a podcast Kissa Sheroka. Mm. He has a second podcast Millennial Kavi. Yeah. Um he also has a, a bunch of videos up on YouTube. I really feel like uh, he's an artist I would recommend. Um I think Hussein Hadri doesn't perform that much nowadays. Yeah. But 100% Hussein Hadri is an a poet I just look up to yeah. so much. Yeah. Um there's a poet who's little less well known her name is Sabika Abbas Nakhvi Oh of course bolti aurat yeah yeah Correct. Sabika yeah yeah Yes and if you are not hearing her poetry you're missing out because she for me embodies slam poetry Oh for me she is the best slam poet I've ever watched across 
I, I've seen Anis Mojgani. You know, I've seen yeah. him perform live. I've yeah. seen Sarah K perform live. I've seen Rudy Francisco perform live. Yeah. I choose Sabika. Oh, you know, she's great. Beautiful. She embodies mm. everything about that's beautiful about slam poetry for me. Um, I think internationally, you have Rudy Francisco, you know, uh, Sarah K. Anis Mojgani is my mm. personal favorite. Like, just he is why I, I am, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and, uh, and, and in terms of influences, I think I would just want to say that one person who's without being a poet herself at all, mm. I mean, she says the same thing. But Tess Joseph is someone who has influenced me a lot in how I think about poetry because the way she gives feedback to artists, right, yeah. is so insane. Yeah. Like she find this small thing and she'd be like, but you could do this like this. And that way, um, I think Manisha Lakhe is another person who whenever I see her giving feedback to artists, it just opens my mind up to how you can consume poetry. You know, just the depth with which you can consume something that someone else is presenting to you, I think is is great to see. But especially this. Fantastic. Fantastic. Shantanu, this has been such a wonderful conversation. This has been, I'm, I'm so glad we got to do this. Finally, and I'm so glad as well. How would you rate me on a scale of one to ten? Oh, I'd say nine and a half. Uh, let's just go with that. <laughs> let's just go with that because I want to end the podcast on a happier note for you. Let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving me nothing else that is tragic. <laughs> thank you for listening to Ed Talk with Anuj. I hope you enjoyed it. New episodes drop every Friday, so don't forget to subscribe and follow Ed Talk with Anuj on social media to stay updated. I'll see you next week.